What's going on, everybody? It is a Wednesday, and this is the Electric Factory Podcast. As always, welcome back to the program. I am your host, Michael Colombo, and I am really excited for this episode. This is going to be a good one. We had a great weekend of football, per usual. A lot of great games, so we are going to go over all of the wildcard weekend games, give you my thoughts, kind of debrief those. We're going to discuss the future of Tom Brady in the NFL, and then we are going to um, dip our toes into a new sport that we have not yet talked about on this show, but I will save that for a little bit later. Um, let's get right into it. First game of the weekend was the 49ers and the Seahawks. Um, first takeaway, I mean, we've seen it for weeks now, but Brock Purdy just keeps proving that he is the real deal. 332 yards, four total touchdowns in the playoffs, and his first ever start in the playoffs. I'm starting to think there's nothing that this kid can't do. Um, the 49ers, they've got impact players at every single position. They've got Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo, even their fullback, Kyle Huizcheck, along with on the defensive side, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, and Eric Armstead looked great in Saturday's game. So they literally, they've got pretty much a Pro Bowl team. You name it, they got it. Um, if they can continue to get this kind of quarterback play from Brock Purdy, or even a little bit less than this quarterback play, they will be a team that contends for the Super Bowl easily, and they have to be the favorite right now coming out of the NFC, I think. I mean, I keep thinking that there's got to be a ceiling to Purdy eventually, but he just keeps keeps going on. He's similar to kind of the way I talked about Stetson Bennett. I keep thinking that there's going to be a ceiling that they're going to hit. He's going to have a bad game, but he just doesn't do it. And obviously the roster around him helps, but this is an experienced quarterback. This is a kid that was a four-year starter in college, led Iowa State to a New Year's Six Bowl game, which is no small achievement. So this kid, he knows how to play football. That's the bottom line. He's a football player. Um, One concern that you might be able to take away from this game is that they had a rough second quarter, San Francisco did. They uh, gave up 17 points to Seattle in the quarter, and they were down at halftime, actually, 17-16. to 16. So if you go down like that against a better team, it's going to be harder to come back. And while it wasn't really much of a comeback necessarily because they were only down by one point, you're going to get into a dogfight with a team like that if you have one of those bad quarters. And we haven't really seen Purdy have to put together a game-winning drive, so I'll be interested to see if San Francisco does eventually end up getting into a close game how Purdy will perform running a two-minute drill where their season's on the line, really. Um, Like I said, overall, I think the Niners have to be the favorite you come out of the NFC right now, I think they're just a, a juggernaut. And they don't even really need an, a star quarterback like most of these teams do because they've got players pretty much everywhere else in the field. Um, the nightcap on Saturday was the Jacksonville and Chargers game. And all I can really say is, wow. I picked Jacksonville, as you all know. I picked them to win and cover. And I was really in the dumps after that first half. I mean, Trevor Lawrence comes out and throws four interceptions in the first half, and I was like, well, that's a dud. What a terrible pick by me. And then it just ended up being the tale of two halves for him. He got the first... I thought the first play, the first playoff game jitters got the best of him. I really did. And we've seen that happen to a lot of quarterbacks, so that's not really uncommon. I, I didn't change my opinion of him anything, any, anything like that after those four interceptions. I just thought that the first playoff game jitters got to him and he wasn't going to be able to pull that one out. But 
then he showed off the signs of what's really going to make him a franchise quarterback. He didn't give up. He put his head down, and he made up for his mistakes. He turned four interceptions in the first half into four touchdowns in the second half. And that proves that he's going to be a franchise cornerstone for years to come, whether it be on Jacksonville or another team. He really has the poise. He's got the ability. Obviously, that's what made him the number one overall pick, number one overall recruit, whatever you want. He's been number one his whole life. And that's and there's he just showed why in that game. He The poise, not many people can come back from throwing four interceptions. He put his head down, and he got the job done. Doug Peterson, again, another guy for Jacksonville that just proved he is a phenomenal coach. No one expected Jacksonville to even win the division, let alone win a playoff game. And now he's got a win. He's got a Super Bowl win with Nick Foles. And now he's got this. He's one of the gutsiest, and he's one of the best play callers in the NFL. First, you got the Philly special in the Super Bowl, a ballsy call that obviously has gone down in history. It's iconic, it's famous, whatever you want to call it. That There's that. And then he has that handoff to Travis Etienne on fourth down. That no one saw coming. ETN ends up breaking it for like 30 yards. And they're in field goal range. And they got a chance to win the game. That was a ridiculous play call. I mean the announcers were praising it. Everyone on Twitter. Wherever you want to call it. Was praising him for that play call. And rightfully so. And I think it's got to come down to him or Brian Dable. For coach of the year. And maybe that determination is made on if either the team, either of the Giants or the Jacksonville. Makes it past this weekend. I don't know how they're going to decide that. But these two guys have orchestrated some great turnarounds and Doug Peterson proves that he's one of the premier coaches in the NFL right now on the Chargers side that is absolutely brutal we've seen them do it a million times before so I can't say I'm really that surprised the Chargers are going to charge her that's what they say um you got to feel for Herbert though this is something that's going to stick with him for his entire career really I mean he is that good of a quarterback I still believe in him and he's going to overcome this. But similar to Matt Ryan, this is never going to leave him. Matt Ryan, till the end of time, is going to hear about 28-3. to And now Justin Herbert's going to have to hear about 27 to nothing. Obviously, this wasn't as big of a scale as the Super Bowl. But regardless, your first ever playoff game, you go up 27-0, you lose that game. That's going to be something that Herbert's going to have to battle with. His legacy for the entire entirety of his career. Um, I think Brandon Staley's got to go. When you blow a 27 to nothing lead, it never falls on one person. It is a team effort. There's plenty of blame to go around. No one on the Chargers played well in that second half. But you cannot blow a 27 to nothing lead in the playoffs and expect to keep your job. I mean, if you're Brandon Saley, why are you passing? You have got to know the situation and you've got to run the ball. You're up 27 to nothing. They're going to need four possessions put together to come back. And if you run the ball consistently, get a couple first downs, you don't even have to score. Get a couple first downs, take all the time off the clock that you possibly can. It's going to be really hard for Jacksonville to put together four straight possessions to make the comeback that they needed to do. I mean, between this and then the Raiders debacle last year in that game, I think he's got to be on his way out. I don't see any way that they bring him back or really want to bring him back next year, regardless of what public opinion says. And Herbert deserves... A Sean Payton type of coach. Like I said, Herbert is that good. He's a phenomenal quarterback, and he's going to have a very bright future in this league, and he deserves a coach that's going to be able to to kind of capitalize on that talent. I don't want to see him waste away with someone like Brandon Staley. Um, That's pretty much all I've got to say about that. Ridiculous comeback. Um, Good for Jacksonville. It's a big win for, uh, for a team like that that hadn't been in the playoffs in uh, at least five years. 
Uh, moving on to the first game of Sunday's action, Bills at Dolphins. What did I tell you guys about Josh Allen? I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit here. I was all over it. Josh Allen, another rough day in the turnover department. You cannot throw two interceptions on your half of the 50-yard line and expect to win a playoff game. That's the bottom line. On top of that, he coughed up the ball three times. He's lucky that he only lost one fumble. If the Dolphins have Tua or maybe even Teddy Bridgewater, they win that game easily. I mean, regardless of everything else, they still had a chance to win at the end of the game. Skylar Thompson had Tyree Kill wide open for what could have very well been a touchdown, and he missed him. That's a mistake that an experienced quarterback like Bridgewater or Tua is not going to make. But besides that, the Dolphins settled for a ton of field goals on those Allen turnovers. So they probably aren't even in that close of a game at the end of the game if one of those quarterbacks are in. Josh Allen, he's got to clean it up. That's the bottom line. That was a brutal game. That game should have been a blowout. Everyone predicted it to be a blowout. And Josh Allen single-handedly kept the Dolphins in that game. Um, I think the Dolphins would be stupid to get rid of Mike McDaniel. From what I saw, I watched all three of the matchups this year between the Dolphins and the Bills, and I think he outcoached Sean McDermott three times this season. Unfortunately, he came out on the losing end of two of those, but if you watch the games, he really outcoached McDermott. That's the bottom line. He's got this team back to the playoffs for the first time since 2017 in his first year as the head coach. And all they really need to do is get consistency at quarterback. Not even a great quarterback. They just need to find the consistency, which is something they didn't have this year. And then they got to upgrade running back a little bit, I think. I think their running back room's a little weak. But if they upgrade those two, they're going to be dangerous for a long time, as long as they keep McDaniel at the helm. Because he's, he's really smart on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense wasn't bad this year. So I think the Dolphins will be a threat in the AFC for years to come, as long as they figure out their quarterback situation, whether that be Tua or whether that be somebody else. Um, if the Bills are going to be a Super Bowl contender like everyone else seems to think they are, I'm starting to think that the Bills don't have a chance to win the Super Bowl because I don't see them being able to put together three more clean games that it's going to take to win that Super Bowl. I don't see that happening against three really good teams they're going to be going up against. Allen needs to be better. That's the bottom line. He's got to clean it up. If he does, the Bills still obviously have a great roster. They have a team that can is built to win the Super Bowl, but they got to clean it up. If he plays like that, if he plays the exact same game that he played against Miami, he will get smoked by either Cincinnati or Kansas City. You can take that to the bank. Um, The 4.30 game on Sunday, Giants-Vikings. Pat myself on the back a little bit more for this one. I predicted a 31-28 Giants win, and we got a 31-24 Giants win. So I I would have to say that I was all over that one. Um, But... It was not the game plan that I expected for the Giants. I expected the Giants, like I said in Episode 5, they're going to run the ball, and they're going to out-physical the Vikings. Instead, they played the game that I think the Vikings probably wanted them to play. They aired it out, and they really out-Vikinged the Vikings, if that makes sense. Daniel Jones was slinging the rock all day. 301 yards, two touchdowns, 78 rushing yards on top of it. And then you got Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, who? Coming out of nowhere... And he played a better game than Justin Jefferson. He had more yards than Justin Jefferson, and he caught a touchdown. So, I mean, the Giants, they came out. Barkley only had 53 rushing yards, but the Giants came out, and they they proved kind of me wrong, even though I predicted them to win. I didn't think they could win like that. I didn't think Daniel Jones was that kind of quarterback. I still loved Daniel Jones, and I love him even more after that performance because now I can see that he can go out and win a game for you. 
I think the Giants have to lock him up this offseason. I think he's going to be a great quarterback for years to come, a franchise guy because he's big, he's got the frame, he showed that he can sling the rock, and he can run. He is one of the sneakiest runners in the NFL, one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks that there is going out there. Um, on the Vikings side of things, Kirk Cousins loses another big game. No surprise there. You can't check down on 4th and 8. You just can't do that. I've said that, and it, it something that bothers me in all football. I've seen it across all levels, high school, college, NFL. I've seen it everywhere. I cannot stand when you are on, you're going for it on 4th down and you do not throw the ball to the sticks. The ball has to go to the sticks on 4th down. I've believed that for as long as I can remember, and that's something that really irks me when I see that. You can't you can't check that down. You can't expect a receiver to make a guy miss. You can't bank on that. You need to throw it to the sticks. And that's something that Cousins didn't do. He made the wrong choice and he lost him that game, really. Um the Vikings, they got a little bit lucky this year. I think everyone knows that. 11 and 0 in one score games. I still think they're built for the future. They're pretty young. Cousins has got plenty of good years left in him. He's a good regular season quarterback. He can get you to the playoffs. They've got Jefferson, who's young. They've got Hawkinson, who's relatively young. Cook's relatively young. They still have a good core, and I don't think that this is an absolute teardown for Minnesota. But if I am the Vikings, I'm a little bit worried that Jefferson's going to leave to want to go play with an elite quarterback, a la Stefan Diggs. They've seen this before. They don't want deja vu. So if I'm them, I'm going to try and get Jefferson locked up to a contract ASAP. Um, And then the nightcap on Sunday. Bengals at Ravens. Another surprisingly close game. Burrow, unlike Josh Allen, did not play bad, but it just wasn't anything special. And, these, and I compare Burrow and Allen there because they're the only two quarterbacks that played against backups on the other side of the ball. Burrow did not have a special game, but he didn't. He avoided the turnovers, which Allen didn't do. Um, I think this and the Buffalo game proves that good coaching really means a lot in the NFL playoffs. John Harbaugh is known for being a defensive coach. And he put together a winning game plan on the defensive side to slow down what can only be described as an electric Bengals offense with weapons all over the field. Um, and I think the Ravens probably win that game with Lamar, just like the Dolphins probably win that game with Tua. It's unfortunate that injuries happen in the NFL, and those two teams really kind of got the short end of the stick. I don't think Lamar makes that mistake on the goal line. I don't think he gets that ball punched out like that. Um, and that was really the turn, the turning point in the game. That was where the Bengals really sealed the the Ravens fate there so I think it's unfortunate that the injuries like that happen but hats off to Harbaugh he coached a good game gave his team a chance to win with Huntley and they almost sent that game to overtime with that Hail Mary the guy almost brought it in so another great game we were treated to a good one so you can't really complain about the game you just wish that both teams were at full strength and then you got the Monday night game, the game that I said, I told you to be glued to the couch. I said it was going to be the game of all games, instant classic, whatever. It was a dud. Not a good game at all. We, I turned it off in like the third quarter, I think. Turned it back on in the fourth. It was just not a good game. That's the bottom line. Dak, he finally proved me wrong. He finally put it all together. He played a clean game, 305 yards, five total touchdowns. What a performance out of Dak. I didn't think he could limit the turnovers enough to win this game. Not only did he limit them, he had five touchdowns. Hats off to him. If Pollard can continue to average five yards per carry, this is going to be a dangerous team because they've got weapons all over the field. Dak spread the ball to eight different wide receivers. Eight. That's very hard to defend in the NFL when you've got eight guys that you have to worry about catching the ball in the slot 
out wide, tight end, out of the backfield. They're all over the place, and that's very hard to defend. So if Pollard can continue to average five yards per carry and keep a team focused on the run game along with the pass game, Dallas is going to be a team that can definitely, I think, make a Super Bowl run if they can play clean football. Um, Micah Parsons is an absolute game wrecker. As long as he's on the field, Dallas is going to have a fighting chance. He was in the backfield all game, disturbing everything. I mean, this guy, I said Nick Bosa last week might be the best overall player in the NFL. After watching that game, it might be Micah Parsons. I mean, they're both excellent. Bosa's going to win the depoy, but Micah Parsons is the most dynamic linebacker I, th- I think I've seen in my lifetime, quite frankly. Um, Luke Keekley comes to mind, guys like that, but Parsons is a game wrecker. And then for the Bucs, um, disappointing ending to Tom Brady's season. He proved, I think this game proved that he can't do it all by himself anymore. He just can't. He doesn't have it in him to lead a team. He needs people. He needs a better supporting cast around him. Um, so that kind of leads me into my next topic. We're going to wrap up uh, the wild card weekend games. Just to summarize, we did go five and one on our picks to win, but we only went three and three against the spreads. So mediocre week for us in the picks. We'll be back on Saturday to give you guys some more of those picks and hopefully do a little bit better there. Um, but let's let's talk about what's next for Tom Brady. He's going to be 46 next season. All signs point to him still wanting to play, I think. Can he still be an effective quarterback? Yes, he definitely can. He proved that this year. He still got this team to the playoffs, albeit in a weak division. He threw for 4,600 yards. Um, Would I mortgage my future for Tom Brady? Absolutely not. Tom needs to go to a place where he can be a distributor of the football. He needs weapons all over the field. He needs to kind of become a game manager, albeit he'd probably be the best game manager of all time, and he's got a little bit more talent than, say, an Alex Smith, who's the first quarterback that comes to mind when I think of game changer. But he needs to go somewhere where he can just distribute the football, sit back, relax, and and do what he does best. Um, Miami, which has been a popular landing spot for him, I think is is out of the equation for the time being because they don't have really a run game, like I said earlier. They don't have a running back, a bell cow, that can take the ball 30 times a game and put up a big game. And we saw that that didn't work this year for Tampa Bay. They didn't have a run game this this year, and then Tom ends up throwing the ball 66 times against the Cowboys. That's not how you win a playoff game. You need to have a team that can run the ball. So of the teams that are in the running for a quarterback next year, I think there's only two fits. Fit number one, San Francisco, obviously. Probably the best weapons in the NFL. Tom wouldn't even need to do much. Would I go after him if I'm San Francisco? Absolutely not. You have Brock Purdy, who's playing great right now, who's making absolutely nothing. You're paying him nothing. And even if you don't want to go with Purdy, you have Trey Lance, who's just as young and is also on a cheap contract. So why would you go for Brady, who's going to play for one, two seasons tops? And then once he retires, where does that leave you? You mortgage your future. If he doesn't win, if you win, if he wins a ring, maybe that's worth it. But if he doesn't win a ring in the next two years, which is no guarantee, because you've got Mahomes who's still going to be around, you've got the Bills and Allen who are still going to be around, and you got Burrow who's still going to be around, and that's only in the AFC. So there's no guarantees for the Niners to win a Super Bowl in the next two years if they bring Brady in. And then once he leaves, they're they're toast. They got no future. So I don't I don't think the the 49ers should go anywhere near Tom Brady. Keep Purdy, keep Lance, work with those two guys, because that's really all you need with the weapons that you have around them. 
And then fit number two, and I think the best case scenario for Tom this offseason is the Las Vegas Raiders. They've got Devontae Adams, they've got Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. They have Josh Jacobs, the running back that Tom needs. And they've got a strong defense, headlined by Max Crosby. They are in a competitive division, I will give them that. But this is where Tom needs to go if he wants to be most successful. The Raiders are the best fit for Tom. He needs the weapons, he needs the running back. They can provide all that for him. And the Raiders are really in a win now mode. They don't have a they don't all their their stars are are aging. Devontae is probably in the back half of his career, albeit he's still great. Jacobs has been in the league for a while now. Waller's been injury prone. So these are this is a team that's in win now mode. So I think they're the team that's gonna go out and get Tom, and I think that's where Tom, if he's smart, that's where he'll go to have the most success and probably have the best chance to win a Super Bowl next season. Um that's about all I got for the NFL. We'll see where Tom ends up this offseason. I'm sure that'll be highly covered, and uh, we'll definitely be talking about it more here. But now we're going to get into some baseball talk, and this really excites me. For those of you who may not know, baseball is my favorite sport, hands down. Favorite sport to watch, to play, to talk about, all the above. All year long, I pretty much eat, sleep, and breathe baseball. Baseball is my favorite. And now, baseball is kind of in this dead period where free agency is sort of winding down. Spring training hasn't quite started yet. But there is one thing that is very relevant right now, and it's it's pretty high stakes, if you ask me. And that is the MLB Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame, the players that were, are elected to the Hall of Fame, will be announced at the end of the month, January 26th, I believe. And I'm very passionate about the MLB Hall of Fame. So to start off, I'm going to talk about who I would vote for if I had a vote for the Hall of Fame. And I think this ballot this year is pretty trash, honestly. I don't. I think there's one player that I would vote for for the Hall of Fame. Two players, I, two or more players on the ballot, I think, have the credentials, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. The one player that I would vote for this year is Carlos Beltran. Beltran was a, he was a stud. 400 home runs, 300 bags, not something you see very often. He was an all-star nine times. He won a rookie of the year, three gold gloves, two silver sluggers. But I think what really elevates him to be that Hall of Fame level player is his postseason performance. He was a great postseason player. A 307 batting average in the playoffs and a 1021 OPS. And yes, he did win one ring in his career with the Houston Astros. He is an all time great postseason player. When you ask any true baseball fan who the best postseason players of all time are, Carlos Beltran is going to be one of the first guys mentioned. That's the bottom line. He was a great postseason player. Um, but he's not, if you look at the ballot tracking, he's not on track to make the the Hall of Fame this year. Or is he really even that close? Which is kind of a shame to me, because I think he's the one guy that I would vote for this year. Um, Todd Helton and Scott Rowland are on track to be inducted either this year or the next. Are either of these guys Hall of Famers? I think absolutely not. I don't see how they're getting so much love, quite honestly. And I think this highlights a bigger issue with the Hall of Fame in recent years. And it's being watered down. MLB has the most prestigious Hall of Fame in all of sports, in my opinion. And I think in the opinion of most, even people that aren't really baseball fans, they understand that the MLB has the most prestigious and most difficult to get into Hall of Fame. And in recent years, I think more and more players that belong kind of in the Hall of Very Good, the hypothetical Hall of Very Good, are getting inducted into the Hall of Fame 
I am in favor of a very selective Hall of Fame. I think that the Hall of Fame should be reserved for the best of the best and nobody else. A good rule of thumb is that when you watched these guys or you think of these guys, do you instantly think they're a Hall of Famer? That's that's pretty much the basis that I go off of. And for Scott Rowland and Todd Helton, no, I don't. I don't think these guys were Hall of Famers. They were good players, like I said, Hall of very good. But no, I don't think they belong in the like in the same breath as a Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, George Brett. Those guys, no, these these guys are they were not the same player. Another way to think of it is, can you tell the story of baseball without them? And yeah, I think you can. You can tell the whole entire history of baseball without once mentioning Scott Rowland or Todd Helton. And I don't mean to rag on these guys. Like I said, they're great players, but they're kind of just the examples because they're the ones that are getting all the love this year. Um, Now let's look at some recent classes just to kind of prove my point a little bit more. Um, Let's go back to the 2018, just 2018, the last five years. Um... And I'm going to list all the guys that I think should not have been inducted in the Hall of Fame in the last five years. Jack Morris, Alan Trammell, and those two pain me because I love Jack Morris and Alan Trammell. I have an Alan Trammell jersey hanging in my closet as we speak. Those are two of my two of my guys on the Tigers. I love them for all they've done for the franchise, but I just don't think that they're Hall of Famers. Yet. Trevor Hoffman is very borderline, but I would tend to say no. Harold Baines, definitely not. Um, Lee Smith, no. That brings us up to five. Ted Simmons, no. Gil Hodges, no. Jim Cott, no. Minnie Minoso, no. Tony Oliva, and Buck O'Neill, all no. So that's only, what, ten guys in the last five years that I think should not have been in the Hall of Fame? So that's gonna that, that number's only going to grow, and the Hall of Fame's only going to be continue to get more watered down if we keep inducting these guys that don't belong in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. I think the writers need to go back to being much more selective as they were in the past. And I think the problem is that a lot of the older writers, the, the true baseball historians, are retiring, and then you're getting this new guy, the new class of guys that like to look at the sabermetrics and all that stuff. And I'm a young guy myself, but I'm not a fan of the sabermetrics. I think... You can tell a lot from a ball player just going off the back of his baseball card and just watching him play. And that, what I think, is more important for the Hall of Fame than trying to take a deep dive and justify someone getting into the Hall of Fame versus seeing someone that's a no-doubter. Um, and now let's go back. I did say earlier there are one or two guys on the ballot that have the Hall of Fame credentials that I wouldn't vote for. And Alex Rodriguez is one of those guys. And that goes to the bigger problem of the Hall of Fame, probably the biggest problem plaguing the Hall of Fame right now. It's a highly debated topic, and it should performance-enhancing drug users be inducted in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely not. Let me lay it out for everybody that, that doesn't quite understand what I'm talking about here. These guys that used PEDs, they cheated. That's the bottom line. They cheated the game. They cheated themselves. They cheated their teammates. They cheated everybody. Hall of Fame criteria states, you can look this up. It's online. It's everywhere, that the voters must conti- consider the integrity of the player. When you cheat, when you use performance-enhancing drug, integrity goes out the window. You don't have any integrity. You cheated. And this, all, this, this argument all circles back to one player, Barry Bonds, who is probably the best hitter in my lifetime, probably. Albert Pujols is up there. Miguel Cabrera is up there. But he's probably the best hitter in my lifetime, if not of all time. And he's not in the Hall of Fame, and he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame because he fell off the ballot two years ago. So is he one of the best and most talented players of all time? Yes. Would Barry Bonds be in the Hall of Fame if he didn't use steroids? 
Probably. Does that mean that we should ignore what he did? Absolutely not. Barry Bonds can still be acknowledged in the Hall of Fame, and he is. His record-setting home run ball is in the Hall of Fame. I've seen it. It's appropriately branded with an asterisk, by the way. The Hall of Fame is not trying to wipe his career off the face of the earth. The voters are not trying to wipe his career off the face of the earth and say that it never happened. He's acknowledged in the Hall of Fame. He's got a bunch of gear, jerseys, bats, balls. They're all there. They show that Barry Bonds played. They, they acknowledge that he, by the books, is the all-time home run leader, although we all know that's Hank Aaron. They are only saying, the voters that is, that he does not deserve to be honored with all of the greats who did it the right way. That's the bottom line. He doesn't deserve that honor. You chose the fame, the fortune, and all the records, and now you want your respect back? You want to ask for that back? No, you can't have it both ways. Bonds made his choice. Clemens made his choice. A-Rod made his choice, and that really pains me because I really like A-Rod as a guy. I love listening to him talk. I love all his coverage on Fox and ESPN. But if I'm going to hold Bonds and Clemens to that standard, I have to hold A-Rod to that standard too. These guys made their choice. They got the money. They got the huge contracts. They're in the record books. But they don't get to get that back. They don't get to get the respect that would get them into the Hall of Fame back. Um, I think that's all I've got on the Hall of Fame. That's kind of got on my soapbox a little bit there. Uh, if you guys could tell, it's something I'm very passionate about, and I enjoyed talking about it. And uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit more, definitely, as we get closer to induction day. We're going to see who, if anybody, gets in this year. I will give my thoughts on that even more if it happens. Um, the plan is to be back once again on Saturday with another episode. We'll do another preview of the divisional round games, and then we're going to talk about whatever else is going on in the sports world uh we'll see what kind of news pops up from there once again as always thank you guys for listening be sure to check out the socials at electric factory pod on instagram electric pod on twitter tiktok once again is at electric factory podcast on tiktok go like those videos up um share this with your friends like rate review um and thank you guys for listening uh we'll be back on saturday